two of the start of the show. It's a little bit after four o'clock on Wednesday, August 25th. The grand opening day of Ernest Brew Works downtown uh, in the old Seed Networking location. They're right across from Kengo and Maddie and Bella. Um, their delicious beers are now there. The Detroit location is still open until the big, the mega Ernest opens at the Kroger, the old Kroger, and then the Detroit location will close. And they're going to have a big restaurant there. So always good things from Ernest. Hi, Maj. Hi. Are you? This is uh, this is friend of the show, devoted podcast listener, and destroyer of the opioid epidemic, Majita Stefan from the. Majida. Uh from <laughs> or or as you were called, she is also the birthday girl this week. Maji. Oh, I am. <laughs> uh, Maj works for the Lucas County Public Health Department, and you have been on the podcast before. I don't remember if we talked about COVID or opioid stuff, but you wanted to visit today because we're a little over a week out or so uh, from is it National Recovery Day? Um, no, so it's International Overdose Awareness Day. Got it. Okay. All right. It's international, it's national, and then in June, um, actually, Governor DeWine declared it Ohio's Overdose Awareness Day. Okay. Well, I know you were grabbing some numbers, and we kicked around some on the podcast. A couple that jump out to me over the course of the last year. Um, we had expected suicides to go up during the pandemic, and they were kind of flat. And I think some, but that, that was data like back in April or May, so mm-hmm. certainly not conclusive, but I think you and I both shared with one another recently that we had seen that, uh, unsurprisingly, opioid uh, uh, overdoses were way up. I would say the number was like like seventy some thousand and ninety thousand. Does that sound right? Yeah, like nationwide numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's stressful. Unsurprisingly, yeah. Um, and we had just made like a maybe a tiny little dent before the pandemic hit when it came to trying to get those numbers under control. But um, what can we talk about with uh, Overdose Awareness Day? Well, I really want to talk about the event because we did this last year and we've done it, we did it two years before that. So we did skip 2019, um, but last year just turned out so phenomenal. And I know this year is going to be a hit too, but it's called Chalk the Walk. um, And It is a public art memorial that we do on Overdose Awareness Day, so on August 31st. Um, And it's kind of special this year because um, in the past years, we did it at Talbot Center over on the east side, um, which is really significant because we know that, you know, the east side is one of the highest, if not the highest um, area for overdoses, both fatal and non-fatal. Um, So that area has hit really hard. And so we picked the Talbot Center. It's one of our locations for our syringe access programs. um, And they're always so gracious. But because it was so large last year in the middle of a pandemic, we were like, okay, we need a bigger venue. Um, So we actually are going to do it at the Glass City Metro Park. So it's going to be really cool. Awesome. What does the event entail? And uh, I don't think we mentioned the date. It's on the 31st, correct? Yeah, August 31st. Um, So our event's going to run from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And so there's a couple different options for what you want to do. Some people like to email us ahead of time and reserve a chalking space because they want to make some memorial that really stands out and is like large scale. Um, So if you're someone who wants to reserve a chalking space, you can reach out um, and email us or find us on Facebook. I'll give that information a little later. But 
Um, and you can start chalking as early as 7 a.m. Excellent. So we do have some artists that really do want to come in and put in their, you know, a large effort for this memorial piece. Um, but, you know, if you're not someone who wants to do an art piece or if you do want to just write a name, a memory, or maybe draw something significant, um, it's, you know, come on in and do it. We'll have chalk available for everyone. Um and we'll actually, at 12, we'll do a ceremony. Um, so we have a couple local speakers that I'm really excited about for that. Do you know who um, the, we do you, have? Do you, oh, okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I want to know. Oh, I, I was just going to. I wanted to know who the speakers are. I'm sure there are people who have oh. <laughs> hopefully uh, beaten or are they working on their addiction? Um, so one of them is actually a mom. Um, so this is all about remembering those that we've lost um, to overdose. Got it. So it's time to remember. So we actually do have a mom, Lori Clemens, um, if anyone knows her out there. Uh, she runs a recovery group for moms called Mom Soul. And Soul is an acronym that stands for Surviving Our Ultimate Loss. Um, and so she's going to speak. Um, she lost her son a couple years ago to an overdose. Um, and she has just done so much in our community um, provide resources out family member and making sure you know they made little bags for Toledo fire to pass out it's been really cool um and it's really impressive to see so I'm excited to hear from her um and then we actually have Julian Mack speaking uh, and he's with the community solidarity response network um he is someone who is in recovery um and he's been you know a political figure in Lucas County as well um, and then we have another member of the Community Solidarity Response Network named Jody Summers, and he's actually going to, um, I think he's in the process of writing a poem for this event. So that's going to be really cool. Yeah, powerful stuff. Um, mm-hmm. to, to jump to the front of things here a little bit, how can anyone listening um, do their part or pass along some information? What are some of your best practices you share um, so that we can do our best to try to get this this epidemic under control? It, it's, we, we call this thing. We, we know words that end in demic really well mm-hmm. over the last year. But before the pandemic, we had this epidemic, which we became all too familiar with because a lot of the uh, the overdoses were here in Ohio, not that far off in parts of West Virginia. So sadly, like, uh, the Midwest, parts of the Mid-Atlantic and Pennsylvania were unfortunately like the heartbeat of the overdose epidemic and crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and as far as the event goes, you know, if anyone's interested in coming out, I did want to say we will have Narcan demonstrations and Narcan available. Um, we'll have guided meditations every half hour as well. Um, and then a ton of anti-stigma information, and that really plays into, oh, and we'll have um, food and fellowship, too. So there's food. Um, but going back to what your question is, that anti-stigma, it, I think that's a really important piece for our community to focus on and for the Lucas County Opiate Coalition to focus on as well, because getting education out there about, you know, who is actually at risk of an overdose is so important, Um And, you know, where we're standing at the health department and um, in the services that we provide, every life is so important to us. And we want to mitigate the dangers of overdose and we want to make sure that we're preventing them um, because we care about people no matter, you know, who they are or where they're from. Uh, They deserve to live. So having that. Oh, go on. Uh, I was just going to say, well, you know, what? finish your thought because I have a separate question. 
um, when it comes to helping people. Yeah, so I was just going to say, um, you know, starting off with compassion and empathy, I think, is the most important thing that just the general public can do. Um, but then, you know, it gets a little more, um, there's there's bigger ask the closer you actually personally get to the epidemic. So. Uh, oftentimes people will ask me what resources I can help them with. Mm-hmm. And there's one mm-hmm. kind of person or situation I always struggle with because I've never personally encountered anything like this. Thankfully, the stuff that I can help with is, is pretty low level stuff, even when it just comes to like suicidal ideations. Um, it's mm-hmm. the person and situation I struggle with is when a person is unwilling to accept help. Um, and there can be situations like that with when someone who's, um, has a drug problem or, or substance abuse, what would mm-hmm. you, how, how do you tell that person that's a friend or a family member, how do you guide them to try to help somebody who is unwilling to accept help? Well, it's really hard when it's a family member or a friend um, who's in the position of asking for that advice. And I don't, I've never been in that position personally um, in my adult life. Um, I experienced a parent um, my sister's mom, who was in active addiction while we were in our youth before she died of an overdose. Um, so I've never been that person. So I don't, I don't know that there's anything that you can tell to make them understand that they're not willing to accept help um, at this point in time. And, you know, a lot of what I do and the work that Alex does as well um, with NTI is kind of on that back end of, okay, this person won't accept the direct help that we're assuming they need, what else is wrong? Like, where is the starting point of accepting help? Is it, um, you know, no housing, stress of finances? Like, what is it that's actually the core root of the, the, the problem? So I don't have a great um, answer for that parent or loved one, but getting connected to a support system would probably be the best thing to do, getting connected to people who have also gone through that. They're... they're- Maybe listening to someone like anybody else, we we relate to people in places that have been through things that we're familiar with. And and that might be the only advice, but sometimes you can't find that person who's been through that and family and friends just want to help this person. Um, And Mm -hmm. this, it sounds like you're going to agree with the sentiment. There is a, there is a crevice. There is a, a schism there and a hole because do I call the police? Well, not not necessarily. Do I call the non-emergency line? Do I, there's a lot of places that you could call, and I don't know, unless it's a certain specific thing, they're a danger to themselves, an immediate danger, or to someone else. Um, you can't do anything unless you're willing to lie about the situation just to get someone to come check on it. It is. It does seem like it's a crevice of a problem, but at least we're aware of it. And when it comes mm-hmm. to, I know you're you're a major advocate of, of Narcan, um, and maybe the best thing is when it, when there's someone who is dealing with heroin or something like that, and maybe you think they, they could overdose, you just say maybe the best thing to do is have Narcan available and know how to use it and hope you can save their life. And maybe that could be the, the awakening that they have. Yeah. If you're talking about what's a direct action I can do, um, if this person's in and out of your house, definitely try and get um, connected with us and get a free Narcan kit. They're at no cost and um, it's super confidential. They're so easy to use. It's so super legal to have one and all it's going to do is be that 
addition to your first aid kit that's going to help reverse an overdose if you come upon it. And this isn't even, I, I definitely want to steer away from people who are known for heroin use because that's one part of the problem. But now with fentanyl, we have a totally different problem because it's going to be the person who's completely unsuspecting of it that's going to have the fatal overdose because it's going to be so unsuspected that there's going to be no preparation around them at all. So um, if you're using, and I don't know that the general population listening is a drug user, but those people who are using cocaine, if anyone's using any type of methamphetamines, even um, Percocets, street-bought Percocets, um, street-brought opiates like Tramadol, I mean, anything that's, that touched the street can contain fentanyl. Um, and we see it. And it's not a matter of it's laced with fentanyl or it's cut with fentanyl. There's cross-contamination. There's, I mean, I don't think a drug dealer is a genius. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this, this idea of coffee table chemists, there's not really any concern for, for that mix-up. And we're seeing more and more people who have zero history of overdose in the past who are using a stimulant or what they think is something else even college-age students with mdma ecstasy molly i've seen and reviewed deaths where it's contaminated with fentanyl um, you, and they're at a party they're not expecting to overdose <laughs> you you had to uh, clarify that for me before and i i appreciate you doing that mm-hmm. again and i'm sorry i keep going back to, to heroin and you listing no, all the okay. drugs and you're, you're right because every time we read about some kind of overdose of, of note. Um, the baseball player from the Los Angeles Angels, Tyler Skaggs, his stuff is back in the news because I think the FBI is doing something with, uh, there was a, a guy mm-hmm. who worked for the team who got him his stuff and Tyler Skaggs' death, I'm looking it up right now, there was fentanyl involved, but his his death, the way he died, sounds absolutely uh, gruesome and grisly, not in a gory mm-hmm. way, but just the stuff that was in his system. And I believe he he died on his own vomit. Um, from mm-hmm. from drinking too much and and a, just a litany of other things, but fentanyl was involved. And, and to your point, um, and maybe this is the thing that we should have been pushing more, as opposed to me saying like a heroin addiction or something like that. To your point of, you can do any one of the nearly half a dozen, ten, even a dozen drugs that you just mentioned, and you might not have any kind of mental health issues. You just want to have some fun, but because. Mm-hmm six people away cross-contaminated there's a little bit of fentanyl in there and what you thought was just going to be high is now potentially you or your friend dead yeah 100 percent. and like there's this one case that always sticks with me and i won't get too into it but what was found on scene were you know bags of um it was like a, a rubber glove and in each of the fingers there was a substance so um, like, like potentially maybe there were a drug dealer. Um, it, it, that's the way it was, it could be perceived, but, um, four of them were cocaine. One of them was fentanyl. And that's such a good visual because it's like, all right, so you're one plastic rubber finger away from fentanyl. Right. <laughs> like if this is a genius, some genius way of making sure that, you know, these two things stay separate, I don't think that's so great. Um, and you're right. Like think of how many people are passing it down from top to the to the time it gets to the street. And I know that there's this thing of, oh, well, the guy I get it from, I know that, you know, I know he's straight or whatever, but he doesn't know. Right. Um, so it's it's just important to just be prepared. If you if you love someone who uses any kind of drug, be prepared um, and have a Narcan kit. Uh, if they're not willing to accept help, 
we have social workers and public health nurses here who are willing to work with them until they are um, and make sure that they're safe and make sure that they are um, participating in like healthy activities and coming to our clinic, um, getting, you know, tested for HIV, hep C and making sure that they're using clean supplies that they're using. We give away fentanyl test strips. I mean, it's really progressive stuff, but one in five people who participate in a certain service program go into treatment, go into recovery. And those are some pretty good odds. I've been uh, aware of, what is it? What are we calling them? Safe use clinics? What are they called? Uh, what's um, the, safe injection sites. Safe injection sites. I've been familiar with them since I read a story about it like four or five years or so ago. And I've told you a couple times mm-hmm. that my friend Councilman Nick Comives was a big fan of it as well. And we've discussed it a little mm-hmm. bit. I have not read anything more about it in quite a long time. Um, it could just be because we're still dealing with, with like COVID incessantly, but is there any new data on that other than what you just said about like one in five is willing to get into recovery after that? Um, any new information on those safe injection sites? Cause I know that people don't necessarily want them in their neighborhood, but as you said, they, yeah. they, they, they can do some good. Yeah. They're not very popular in the United States at all. Um, I actually don't. I, I, every time I go to look into, I feel like a million things kind of come up in between there because we're so distant and far away from that. So um, one thing that is concerning is that syringe access programs all across the United States are getting shut down. Uh, There are people that are taking place in, you know, their, whether it's city council or county level or state level who just are um, really into criminalizing syringes. Um, And that's really sad because, you know, it, for a while, it was just growing and growing. And now, you know, um, Biden, I think, just passed um, something about the legalities of fentanyl test strips. And um, we're doing things on the state level, kind of going in that direction. But it's it's really sad to see these great access points for people get shut down. It's just mind-blowing. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who really disagree with this work. Um, but for, for me and for someone who can see the good that it can do, it's just really sad. But we have had some wins in Lucas County recently. So it's wild to think there's that some positive things. It's wild to think that people don't want to help others with these types of things as if that will just stop the problem. <laughs> um, like yeah. just because there's not a safe injection site or, or whatever else that you just mentioned, uh, in your neighborhood doesn't mean uh, people go, Oh, you know what? There's no safe injection site. Well, you know what? I'm just going to quit this thing. No, they're just going to keep doing it. So, um, right. And you know, what's so crazy. I think the first time I podcast with you, you asked me a question about, like, what if someone says they don't want to use resources that way or, like, they're tax-paying dollars that way? And I was talking to my friend at Toledo Fire. I'm really close with Toledo Fire. I'm really close with TPD, with the sheriff's office. I mean, these are people I work with all the time. So if you're listening to this and thinking, like, wow, how is that even legal? It's very legal. Um, but I was talking to my good friend at Toledo Fire, and he told me it's, like, $500 every time someone goes out to an overdose. Yep. That's like the medical cost on the back end. It's $75 for the health department to purchase a Narcan kit, and it's free to the person who has it at home. (laughs) So the people who disagree with Narcan, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If you're you're really going to rely on dollars and cents, it doesn't make sense. It's the mental health of our first responders. It's the taxpayer's dollars on the back end. 
Um, it's just crazy to me. And we take those people who are at least here in Toledo, a little short staff talking like TPD and, and, and TFD. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we take those people, those people have to go respond to overdoses when they, and granted, that's a serious emergency, but there could be something where they're short staffed to go help someone where there was an accident, an electrical fire, something else that was like literally completely an accident. And it's, it's tough. And, and, and at least an overdose is yeah. potentially preventable as opposed to something accidental, like I just mentioned. Um, it's, yeah. Have you seen that sign on uh, next to that fire station downtown? Uh, what does it say? On like Erie, it says um, your your local fire department is dangerously understaffed right now. Yes, well, I think that that has more political meaning to it yeah. than anything else. But it's true, though. Right. I mean, it definitely has more political meaning. But for I mean, it's hard hitting every time you see it and think about it because they are. And then, well, unfortunately, they have preventable things. You know, I think people only think about the political aspect of it. And that steers them one way, as opposed to what you've already outlined. When those places are short-staffed, mm-hmm. they're not going to get there as quickly when there's emergency situations and whatnot. So, but mm-hmm. um, International Overdose Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? It is. Yeah. You could say any of them. International, National, Ohio, they're all right. <laughs> August 31st, Glass City Metro Park. Uh, come on out. How can people get in touch if uh, you're right? Like we, I like to think that there's a very narrow band here that we have, but I know that the people that listen to the podcast have large networks and it might not be a friend, mm-hmm. but it might be a friend of a friend who needs the information. So how can people yeah. uh, find out a little bit more or get what they need to know if they'd like to be a part of next Thursday, Friday? Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday. Sorry. My week is all messed up. I know. Well, I was going to say Monday. It's not Monday. It's Tuesday. It's the okay. 31st. Um, so we do have a Facebook page. They can look up Lucas County Opiate Coalition. Um, they can look up Chalk the Walk. It's an event on Facebook. And if they don't have Facebook, um, if they are interested in getting connected, reserving a spot, maybe getting the flyer for their agency, um, they can email us over at NOS, which is N, like Nancy, O, S, S, at co.lucas.oh.us. Okay. Do you, tagline. <laughs> do you have anything else? Would you like me to ask you any COVID things or do you want to throw out yeah. any COVID things? Well, I really want to talk about what happened today, if we can. What happened? Time. I have been moving furniture. Like, it has been a nightmare here. Let me tell you what happened oh. so you don't have to listen to the podcast. What? So, our building was getting <laughs> repainted and recarpeted and refloored. Only the main areas, we were told. And then Monday, my engineer, my friend Josh, um, is told, oh, we're doing the offices in the studios, too. And his jaw hit the floor. So for three days, I've been doing my best to help him and a couple other employees. And and the building is still mostly empty. We've been moving and breaking down furniture and then rebuilding it and moving it for the last three days. So the only thing I saw today was that a kid got arrested for bringing a gun to one of the TPS schools. And... What? Yeah, uh, I think it was a little, they oh. called it a ghost gun. I don't know what that is. I was yeah. talking about what we, what I did today. <laughs> what did you do today? Oh, oh you, you brought oh, up. Well, we, <laughs> what did you do? It's still opioid related. We, we went and got our new mobile. So we have actually like a, this massive two room. It looks kind of like a little mini ambulance mobile for Narcan distribution. So people will be seeing that in the community. That will be, I talk the walk too, but it's, 
so exciting. Healing Community Study is a study that we're working on as a coalition. And w- under one of the strategies, we were able to purchase this unit of a vehicle. It's so cool. Good. I was so late. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but any COVID stuff you want to pass along? I mean, I know that we're now oh. doing... Is the so you're doing uh what is it uh vaccinations? I know there's a, a daily list, and I think mm-hmm. they're at the health department. Are we probably are we going to reopen the rec center? Are we going to do that again? Uh, I think that we, you know, I can't confirm that, okay. but I feel like that's the talk that we've been trying to. I'm pretty sure we're going back out there because um, we are looking at starting uh, boosters. And I don't, I don't, I haven't been communicated an official date for that yet. Um, But I know that they're really working hard planning it. I mean, we're on meetings. You have to understand the staff is on meetings with schools and agencies and planning. I mean, it runs their entire life. So that's really overwhelming. What's that? Stop spreading. I said, so be safe. Stop spreading COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. If only it were that easy. There was. I was on a. Uh, I'm on the the programming committee for the Jewish Federation. And what did this one oh. woman say? There's an older woman. Her name is Judy. And God, she is. She's a saint. Um, love this woman. In fact, like her husband walked through the kitchen during our meeting. I was like, I'm just gonna sit back and watch <laughs> Judy and Netflix here. She asked something like, um, the old question of. The person saying, you can't make me wear a mask. It's my freedom or my right. As opposed, And then like what she was thinking, but it's like, it's not your right to get me sick. And I was like, Judy, mm-hmm. if we could have solved that in the, in the summer of last year, we wouldn't be where, here where we are right now. And we're, we're going through this again. That's why I asked you because I you mentioned boosters. It seems like we're getting a lot of data over the last seven days that... Um, and I think I just saw some stuff from the UK as well. And it seems like we're going to have a pretty good consensus here real soon that after eight months or so, uh, a, a booster for all the vaccines that we got is is needed. And that's, that's mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody has a kid, they know that when, when you do get your children vaccinated, it takes multiple shots and doses. So this isn't a surprise. Well, that and like, it's still such a large threat at this time. I don't think, you know, down the road and knock on wood when it's not a large threat it won't be getting a booster getting a flu shot yearly you know it'll, it'll be more like that where do i want it uh, sure i guess yeah you know yeah. if my doctor offers it <laughs> right um yeah it's it's wild that we're still going through this and i think um like a lot of people i was was cautiously optimistic heading into the summer and that was before Delta started to take off. And now I'm a little, I'm a little sullen because I thought we were doing well. But it sucks. This little teeny tiny, mostly brainless, microscopic organism is is beating humanity pretty well. So because of stubbornness and, and other things. I am impressed. I do have, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do have a couple of friends who are still unvaccinated. And I can't believe I'm saying it because I work at the health department and I just feel like it's unheard of around these parts. Um, but I have been surprised with their responsibility of, of being cognizant of where they're going. Um, you know, one of them came down with a little sinus infection and immediately went and got tested. And, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, I mean, I wish you were vaccinated, but I'm glad that you did that. So, um, I have some ill will. responsible people. <laughs> I, it's responsible to get vaccinated. Um, yeah. because I just look at these people with some disdain and I'm, 
the, I'm not talking about people who are unable to do it, just unwilling, especially mm-hmm. for like staunch, stubborn. I, I read it on the internet reasons. Like you're basically being an incubator for this vaccine, uh, for, for this virus. And, and that mm-hmm. bothers me. So. Yeah. Well, I did. Um, so I was talking to the coroner's office right before I called you. And they're going to let me visit. Um, I, I did read that out loud to her. Um, so I, I talked to my friend Robin. She's the supervisor of toxicology over there. So I work very closely with the toxicology department specifically. Um, and she laughed and then she said, I don't think I don't think he wants to come visit. I do. I do. <laughs> and I said, I think he really does. <laughs> I do. I think I like dead people more than living ones. I, I did say, because she's so, I mean, she's so interesting to talk to. I didn't think I was going to get off the phone with her um, because we started to talk about suicide. And um, she doesn't, so because her department's toxicology, she works more with, um, you know, the drug side of things than she does any other different cause of death. And I'm assuming they have different departments because when I asked if she could send me info on the suicide, she said, that's not my department. So I have to, I do have to ask permission um, because when you had asked me about suicide related opioids, um, she actually told me I could cross reference the list that she has given me of all the individuals with um, the list of, of suicides. And then I could actually find that out. Um, but I have been pulling more information this year on it. So I'm trying to be cognizant of that because suicide fatality review is just as important, but she did say, so the reason I talked to her today is because we were doing final 2020 numbers, which sounds insane because it's August 25th of 2021, but toxicology takes a long time. Um, and so last year, there were 265 opioid-related deaths. Okay. And this year, there were 296 opioid-related okay. deaths. So quite a jump. And then overall, um, because we are an overdose fatality review, and, you know, a lot of our conversations um, have been around, okay, well, what if it's not opioids? What if we're looking at methamphetamines now or something else? Um, there were 336 drug-related deaths total in Lucas County last year. So wait, you, you glossed over it because, and, and to provide some context, I asked you before, how much information are we able to know about those overdoses Mm -hmm. and, and whether or not they're a suicide because you you don't know. Um, but you, you, you can, of that, what, 290, you're able to, you are able to glean some, some background info, but we don't know for sure. Or do we, if they're a suicide or not? Yeah. So, yeah. So ultimately I will know. So this is the interesting thing and this is what I'm changing for 2021. Um, so part of my job is overdose fatality review. And basically what that is, is it's a lot of decision makers coming to a table and we pick through overdose cases. We look at the details, we figure out what we could do better. Uh, we make recommendations on places where we need interventions, whether it's zip codes or neighborhoods. Um, so just to give you a background on what I'm talking about there, Um, But she did say last year that there were 77 total suicides in Lucas County. Um, And that's not necessarily Lucas County residents, such as suicides that happened within Lucas County. Right. Now, of those 77 suicides, there will be a secondary cause or a primary cause of death, but it's ruled a suicide. So whether they um, did it by hanging or um, gunshot wound or... um, 
by, by intentional overdose, we Got can it. see that. But furthermore, we can see the toxicology screening. So even if they died by hanging, they could have fentanyl in their system because sure. they're an active drug user. And so what's important to me is the toxicology side of things. So I hand comb through every single death that happens in Lucas County, and I look through the toxicology to pick those out so that we're having that data included in the data that we're looking at in this committee. So I did find some this year already who did have high um, toxicology reports of opiates in their system, and I did include those in our review because I think that's very important. Okay. I could ask you a lot more questions and, and pick through all this stuff, but we got to wrap up. It might but, be boring to people. <laughs> it, it might, like, I find it fascinating. Like I, I love data statistics and, and information because it helps us, helps us tell, have a better picture and it helps prevent okay. things in the future and it helps tell a story. Um, that's data why should I, drive everything. It, it should. Like I always say for things like let the math make the decision. Um, cause. And you know, Oh, sorry. Go no, on. go ahead. I was going to say, you know, um, I don't know if you know this. I think I have told you this, but they, uh, the state of Ohio just added um, overdose fatality review, which we already do, and suicide fatality review into the Ohio revised code, which means that each region or local jurisdiction has to hold some sort of a suicide fatality review. Um, and so that's someone probably like, your friend Jen, um, or similar position to her, who would probably need to work on convening that and figuring out how to, who to get connected with to get that data so that they can actually pick apart those cases as well. And I know she's kind of started that work already, which is really fascinating too. Yeah, we need that information so we can help people so there are less suicides and less overdose fatalities and so much more. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the time. And I'm glad you yeah, got your little, you. little mobile now. We'll look for it on the streets. Thanks. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, um, tell Eric I said hi. Big fan here. I will. <laughs> I will. He was being like a total dad and like walking around it and finding all the bubbles and the, you know, the wrap on the outside or like, how do you work this? Where's the generator? Well, you know, <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for the time. Uh, I'll get this posted yeah, up you. and you can go listen to yourself. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Bye. Bye.